0: G'day and welcome to Occupied, your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. Before we kick off, I just wanted to remind you guys about the Occupied community, an exclusive group where dedicated fans and some of our speakers can interact, ask questions, support each other, a really great thing to be part of. If you're interested in being part of that, jump onto brockcook.com, sign up with your email address and you'll get sent the link to, to join that community. Um, Do check your junk mail just in case it goes in there. This episode, I have the pleasure of bringing back the Rocket OT, Simone Ryan, and we sat down and had a rather long chat, and we could have talked for four times as long, so we're going to have to bring her back again, but we covered everything from regulation to occupation to uh, the trouble with independence to pretty much any other occupational topic you could possibly think of, so... Uh, I hope you guys enjoy. I had an absolute blast doing this one, and I will talk to you soon. How is it being back in Australia?
1: Oh, it's good. It's different. I don't know. I feel like I've never left. It's so bad. You know, first day back at work, I was just like, yep. Oh, last year was just a dream. Was just, <laughs> yeah. Thank you it. Pretty epic. Nothing's pretty epic dream. Changed, so yeah, no, it's interesting. It's been busy. Have you been
0: about the same? Busy. Yeah. You've so. had a busy
1: year yourself.
0: I like to keep not busy.
1: married. Competed in nationals.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just
1: like on Facebook. It's good.
0: Yeah, that's alright. <laughs> that's what it's there for, isn't it? Exactly. There's no other purpose other than. <laughs> no, to... we actually,
1: talk to each other. We just stop each other.
0: Yeah, just see what other people are up to, and then you can. Ooh. Pass judgment on them and go back. Go back about your life. That's the, that's the exactly. whole pur- whole purpose, as far as I'm concerned.
2: <laughs> you know,
0: social media. Yeah, no. Yeah, not just just doing what I do. It's good. So, what's new with you? Where are you working? What's happening?
1: Yeah, so I came back and uh, my hours got cut. Sadly, so I mean, it's it's pretty nice to have a job to come back to anyway. So yeah um, went down to part-time and decided to well I was encouraged to just yeah start my own thing so I'm now uh, trying to do some private practice and try and just sort of get a bit more popular on social media and then try and yeah get some webinars or something going in terms of output and promote um, the regulation rocket as a product i guess well, it's not really products i don't like calling it a product it's like a a tool for people to use yep so, yeah no it's been interesting it's been busy it's uh it's so much harder to start a business than i ever imagined and i'm just like how do people do it they are amazing and I, I just don't know there, there's not a comprehensive list anywhere of like how to do it well there is but people want to charge you like to tell you it. I'm like, no, just give it to me for free.
0: Just tell me. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, no, it's been good. It's been an adventure. It's been a learning curve. And yeah, trying to get into the world of telehealth,
0: which is really interesting. So, it's. um, How do you get into the world of telehealth?
1: I don't know. I'll (laughs) let you know once I figure that out. I don't know. Just doing a lot of research in terms of how it works, how it, how to, um, I don't know, deliver it in that way, and you know what I need from my end. And then yeah, now I'm in the process of just trying to find people to engage with me. It's it's not um, huge in Australia, in, especially with uh, OTs. We seem to be a little bit behind the eight ball on it. The Physios and nurses and even speechies are really leading the charge on it. Um, dietitians love it, uh, and yeah, I, there's a lot came out last year, towards the end of last year, um, from like OT Australia and like all the you know the Physio Australia or whatever their um, governing body and all them um, all the pretty much allied health uh, governing bodies all put together a statement promoting it and. doing research on it and it's all coming out really positive so yeah i'm interested to use it as an avenue i think in australia you know we're so spread out and especially with kids um you know like (sighs) parents have so much to do that i don't think they need to travel for you know 40 minutes to get to therapy or to pay like an extra 50 or 100 for their therapist to come out and meet them somewhere Mm. um and i just think you know telehealth lets you see a child in their environment which is my new big thing that I'm pushing, which is not new at all, but it's just something that I think I'm being a bit more vocal about now that I'm older um, and not that I'm anti-clinics, but I kind of am. That sounds terrible. I'm just, I don't know, I just, the more I sort of makes look sense. It and reflect on it, I'm just thinking, you know, it's it's really important for us as occupational therapists to see children in their natural environments. And I just think, you know, I just hear feedback from parents and educators and they're just like, well, we can't do that in home or we can't do that in the shopping centre or we can't do that in school or we can't do that in childcare. And I'm just like, well, we need to see the children or the people that we work with in the environments that they actually live and be, you know, like putting them in a, you know, like it's, it's great in terms of teaching like I guess a skill but then there's got to be some form of generalizing it or I don't know. You just, to me, you have to see where a person is in order to actually meet their needs and to, you know.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's something Mm -hmm. I think like I've always, always wondered why OTs seem to be, I guess not making as much noise about doing that kind of stuff. Cause like even, so when was it? Yesterday I was teaching our, first-year students in, like, week two of their whole degree about, like, we're talking about um, context and, like, exploring occupations. And they were, you know, doing occupational analysis on, like, small tasks, like making a sandwich or something like that. And it was, like, just seeing them, like, doing that as a group and then, like, arguing about, like, where that person keeps the plates compared to that person, how that's go- like. I'm like these guys are in week two of a four year degree and they get it, yeah. Like, and I is. didn't, I didn't even have to say it. Like, it just came out of the conversation on like, oh well, if the kitchen's set up differently, it's probably going to change how someone does this particular activity. And I'm like, that's right. This is amazing. I'm loving this. Yeah. And then like, and that was always one of my big things when I worked in acute was they like do a cooking assessment. I'm like, but the, it's a it's a, a hospital kitchen that looks like it's been thrown together in a closet. There's <laughs> stuff everywhere. Yeah, There's nothing like any kitchen I've ever been in. It doesn't even have a stove. It was like a you know one of those electric fry pans. I'm like, this person's yeah. never used an electric fry pan in their life. They use a stove and an oven. Yeah. Like, how is that going to give you really accurate results on how good they are at cooking, safety, that kind of thing. Like, yeah, okay, you're really good at, you know, cooking something random in a hospital kitchen. Yeah. That's, that's you know, yeah, there's some transferable, but even then you don't know how much is going to be transferable because you've never seen what their actual kitchen looks like.
1: Exactly. Or what they actually cook. The, what got me was that we got told, you know, you have to go make a cup of tea and make some toast. I was like, what if they don't drink tea? What if they are gluten intolerant and don't, or don't like bread you know what do they actually what make at
0: home what if they what just don't, do they just don't feel people? like toast yeah like
1: choice oh, meaningless um you know and it's like oh you know use an electric kettle oh but i use a stovetop kettle you know and i listen to the sound and that lets me know when it whistles you know and i've been doing that for 30 years and now you're going to tell me i can't go yeah. home i don't know how to use an electric kettle i'm like yeah no you know i i totally agree i think we sort of get taught that at uni, and you know, in certain in certain placements, I think it's like really obvious when you have to, you know, do home visits or you know, in terms of seeing them in the in the environment. But then, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just easier for some people. I think it comes back to I was saying to you before I was listening to that uh, the podcast you did with Dr. Nicholson. Yeah, yep. Around, and she had a really good point around that, like the two pathways and that more treatment based approach. And I think if you're taking the treatment based pathway, then yeah, you're probably going to see them in a clinic because you're really focused on the individual. But for me as an occupational therapist, there's the two other branches, which is the occupation and the environment. And if we're not addressing all three of those components, then is what we're doing even occupational therapy? Or is it some other type of therapy, you know, that's
0: Re- remediation therapy and my
1: treatment base I actually, I
0: actually watched a really interesting video um grant who goes by millennial ot on twitter and youtube he's got a youtube channel but he's been putting together a series of videos on the history of ot and i watched one yesterday i think it was like series actually i think it was a new one like not in the original series but it was on it was like 30 names that ot may have been called so it was like uh-huh. when they were originally like trying to come up with a name for the profession, and it went through all these names, and there was so sort of like all sorts of stuff. A lot of it around teaching. So it was, you yeah. know, like you know, re- activity teaching and rehabilitation teaching and that kind of stuff, and occupation. Like I reckon, if you looked at all thirty names, I reckon occupation only was mentioned in a handful of them.
2: Yeah, right. But
0: um, yeah, like remediation and rem- remediation therapists. I think remediation teacher was one of them. Yeah. That just reminded me of that. So I'm yeah, like, right. there's every chance that, you know, the profession may have gone down that road way back yeah. in the day, but we didn't, here we are. And I think we need to, yeah. you know,
1: Yeah. Get back on that path of what makes us special and unique as a, as a therapy modality, I think. So, yeah. So that's my, I don't know, philosophy. I think, yeah, as I'm, it's interesting hearing, yeah, again, reflecting back on that podcast you did with Dr. Nicholson, like hearing that she went through that same thing just 20 years earlier than I did. And I was like, how crazy is it that we're still going through this process of you go out into the big wide world after you graduate and then you have to kind of find your way back to occupation. And I was just like, how is that, how is that still happening? You know, why? I don't know. It just, and then.
0: And, and she said, was in a different country.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's happening. It's not just happening in Australia. It's not localized in any way. And, and then, you know, I don't know, I recently, I guess, as I've become a bit more vocal about it, I realized that you get, you get annihilated for, you know, talking about occupation to occupational therapists. And I'm like, what is going on? How is it that, you know, you kind of get treated like you don't know enough? Because you haven't, I don't know, done all their special training or whatever, um, but they never use the word occupation once when they're going on about whatever they're going on about, and you just, you know, you sort of get belittled and you just kind of get like snubbed off, I guess. And I'm like, well, of course, if you were a new grad or you know you're second or third year out, and that's the message you're getting, you would feel pressure to go down that treatment-based mm. path, and unless you have, you know, role models in your life, and I think that's what makes this podcast so great, is that you know people listen to this and they're like oh it's okay to like be occupational focused and use the word occupation I and give you I permission love how you you're talk allowed about that. Sorry what was that I
0: give you permission you're allowed to be occupation yeah. focused you're allowed to talk about it i yeah. encourage you to talk about it at every available opportunity except maybe yes. funerals or something bad like that but any other time talk about it yeah Let's talk about it
1: and i think we as The occupation focused, I guess, pathway, we need to be more vocal about it as well as like leaders. Like, in that, is that there are so many people in the more treatment based stream who are very passionate about what they do and they're very open and vocal about it. And in order to, you know, support the people coming into our profession as new grads or even to support people who might be feeling a bit lost along that path to come over and join us on our side. For want of a better word, like on our path, like the way our approach, the way that we, you know, use more occupation, you know, that focus, seeing them in their environment and mm. focusing on what they want to do rather than necessarily what needs to be fixed about them. I think, like, we, if we can be more vocal about it, then I don't know, like, it helps them because it's hard. It's hard being the lone person standing up and saying, hey guys, maybe we should be thinking about occupation. But the more of us that do it, then. Yeah. I don't know.
0: What do you think? Yeah. I think just something, I don't know. I was just thinking about it then while you were talking, like I could see sort of, oh, how long it was? Maybe five or six years ago. It's probably longer than that now. I'm getting old. But um, sort of when I first started, you know, really getting on that occupation train and, you know, learning a lot more about it and implementing it a lot more in my practice, like it, it was very much a like almost felt like you were the minority at that, mm. at that point in time. And I can see that the number of people and the, num- and the discussions are a lot more now. And just thinking about it then, like with the regards to, I guess, the two pathways, it, it, it does concern me in one way that we might be headed down a kind of like an us and them kind of route, which I think could be, well, it's definitely not going to do the profession any good. Yeah. Um, but I mean, ideally, I mean, in this ideal world, perfect world, what you'd want would be for those two—not not necessarily for you know them to jump onto our team or us to jump onto their team, kind of thing, but kind of meet in the middle. Because I think a lot of the treatment, a lot of the modalities and stuff that people are doing, like yes, there are definitely some that are whether it's deliberate or not, essentially ignoring occupation. But then. Yeah there's a lot of those that are doing it for systemic reasons whether it's you know limitations or resource and that kind of thing but i think the types of interventions that they're doing could benefit and could work really well with you know a more occupation focus i think trying to i guess meld the two streams together somehow and i have no idea how to do that um other than going around individually and trying to, you know, have conversations like this with, you know, every individual therapist. But, um, like I, I, have always thought like conversation is, is a way to, I guess, reach more people, which is, you know, one of the things that I actually like about not necessarily just doing this podcast, but like listening to other podcasts and, and even, not even like OT related podcasts, just listening to podcasts in general. I just love hearing different perspectives and, um, I'm halfway through when I was because well, I was running late for this podcast and I was driving home and I was listening to uh, a Joe Rogan podcast and it was with the founder of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, uh, one of his engineers and a reporter who was, uh, he's not anti Twitter, but he was critical of some of their decisions. And it was about, you know, Twitter as a large prat- platform and their role in. Uh, censorship of free speech and that kind of thing like trying to stop people using the platform for inciting hate speech and that kind of thing and whether or not that was essentially Twitter's role or yeah. the individual's and and like absolutely nothing to do with OT really but I mean it it opens up my thinking into different perspectives of viewing certain certain things and there's some, some stuff I agree with, some stuff I don't but in the end, like, I can be quite critical and analyze that conversation from my external point of view with my current knowledge and that kind of thing. And I think that's what OTs need to be doing yeah. is, like, I'm not doing this podcast so that people can 100% agree with everything that I say. And yeah. I, the people that I talk with on here, uh, I'm not bringing people on here. Like, I, I was having this conversation with someone at work at, today or well, yesterday. Anyway. Um, like I bring people on here that I find interesting. I am I am the first to put my hand up and say this is a completely selfish endeavor. Like yeah. I have there's no agenda, there's no nothing. I'm just like, oh, you sound interesting, let's have a chat. Um yeah. and it's hundred percent, it's people that I find interesting. Like if yeah. I don't find it interesting, why would I talk to, you know, people? Yeah.
1: I think that's what makes it great. And it's you know, it's like listening to a conversation. It's not you know it's not an interview per se it's a conversation between two occupational therapists who you know and sometimes it's like bringing in a different view and i think i don't know it's just it opens up your way of thinking and i totally agree with you around the that meeting in the middle or meeting somewhere along like hmm. merging the paths somehow and i think i think that's what worries me is that are we you know, like, are we setting ourselves up to have this, like, conflict within the um, profession where it's, it is that us versus them? And I think, you know, I often, I totally agree. I think, you know, it's that some of those treatment approaches, the ones that, you know, have good evidence base and stuff, like, I, I use some of them. It's just that I don't use it first and foremost and I don't use it as the only lens to view, like, my clients through. Like, I come in much broader and I come in from an occupational point of view and then I, you know, if if I think after a bit of problem solving and seeing them in their environments that they are in, if I think that that's going to actually serve them best, then I, like I wouldn't hesitate to recommend some of those, um, you know, treatment modalities. But I think the problem comes about is when they come in and it's just like looking at them through the lens of that treatment modality first and foremost and then the things you miss if you're only looking at them through that one lens. And I think that for me was, I mean, it was definitely like the biggest motivation to create the regulation rocket model Mm. that I did is because, you know, and people have said to me like, can I still use this program? Can I still do this? And, you know, within the model. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. All it is, is it's a guide to like, sort of like take that step back and to think it's like, you know, once you've kind of, you know, gone through the process of using it as a model, if you then think, yeah, actually, I really do need to target, I don't know, this particular area in order to help, you know, everything else kind of connect into place, then sure, by all means, go through it. But use it, like, come at it from an occupation point of view. Like, what really worries me as a OT in peds is that people associate, like, people only have experience working with a particular therapy modality in OT, and they call that OT. And that's my concern. I'm like that one type of therapy is not the complete OT package. And I think that that's not always explained very clearly to parents. And then so then when they come across to me and then they say, oh, like, are you just going to do this? This is OT. And then I have to kind of go, well, no, actually, that's that particular Mm. type of therapy. It's not OT. Like OT is you know, it's it, it's contained within OT, maybe, sure, but no. it's not um, the be all end all. It's not the definition of OT. And also, you don't even know what occupation is. <laughs> so, like, maybe let's start there. Let's talk about your occupations, because, you know, I think it's important that they know what what's the purpose of this, you yeah, know?
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the, one of the issues that I see in mental health is when people uh, do exactly that, but the modality they're using isn't OT, but just because they are an OT, then people associate it. So things like CBT, I'm like, yeah. no, look, I don't use CBT personally. Um I know a lot of therapists that do, and they use it successfully. I don't care how much you argue. It's not OT. Yeah, it's a yeah, psycho It's a psychotherapy, and you can do it as an OT. Feel free. If you've done the training and you feel comfortable using it, use it. But yeah it's a psychotherapy
1: it's different
0: like don't yeah. like
1: and it might be a matter of semantics but i think it's actually really important i mean words do have a lot of meaning and if we start to sort of you know if people are associating oh ot with just one particular type of therapy the problem happens when i mean maybe that type of therapy isn't effective or that there's some issues with it and then all of a sudden it's like well oh, OT, they, you know, they they do this thing that's not that effective. Or, I mean, it also narrows people's view of OT. And I think, um, you know, you did that uh, podcast on transitions. Like people transition mm. throughout their life and what they might need from an occupational therapist is going to bigger, depending on if they're 5 or 15 or 50. I like, hope so. And, and so <laughs> if you're thinking, oh, well, OT is just, I don't know, sensory integration as a 5-year-old, but then as a 15-year-old, you're like, oh, well, I do know, OT is CBT. But then when you're, you're 50 and you maybe have a stroke or you have, I don't know, Parkinson's or something else goes on in your life, you know, then it's, OT is different again. And yeah. you're thinking, well, it's going to look different at each one of those stages. And each one of those particular therapy modalities aren't OT. You know, they're a part of what we might use as OT. They're one of those tools in our toolbox, but they're not OT. And I can just, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's it's frustrating, I think, to, and then it makes it really hard for us to then, you know, people are always saying, oh, I don't even know what OT is. Like, how do I describe it? It's like, well, because if you're just associating it with one particular type of therapy, of course, you're going to struggle to describe it. I actually find describing occupation really easy. And I talk about occupation all the time. And you can say occupation. That's the things that you need to want to or expected to do. And people are like, okay, cool. Bam. Now, they, now, now, I'm, instead of saying need to want to expected to do every single time, I'm just going to use the word occupation because it's the umbrella term. And then parents and teachers are always like, okay, you know, I think we treat people as dumber than they are. And we think that, oh, I don't know. It's so complex. I'm like, it's not complex. People know
0: what doing is. Yeah, I don't know why why we seem to think that. I, I don't know whether it's like an identity thing in that w- we need to feel like it's really, com- like we need to feel special so that we, you know, have to explain what we do. Like I don't know whether if we were under the impression that what we do is really basic at its grassroots, whether we would still feel as, you know, proud mm. and, you know, happy in the profession or the or the fact that it is so unique and we need to keep it that way kind of thing even subconsciously because I know a lot of people are going to go I don't think that but subconsciously I think a lot of people might um, yep. whether that is where we I guess draw some of our value from being OTs is the fact that we're so unique and we're not like <laughs> everyone else and you know I, the, I I look at the like OT meme pages and they drive me up the wall. I cannot even express how much I dislike majority... I've seen one OT meme, I think, in my life that I <clears throat> actually liked and it was one that Michael Awama posted the other day about... Um, I can't even remember what it was now. It was about a river, obviously, but that's the only one I've ever actually even found funny. The majority yeah. of them are just like, you know, ha-ha. Oh, that patient you see in the morning and you know it's going to be a shit day. And I'm like, that's, that's not even funny for one. No. And like, I, I go onto pages like that and I'm like, what if you were like a, a client
2: yeah.
0: and you come in yeah. here and you see all this rubbish and then you see all these people like, ha ha, this is funny and tagging people. I'm like, this is trash. Like,
2: and we wonder yeah.
0: why people have no idea what we do. It's because we can't, yeah. we can't even be funny. Oh, gosh, I'm so guilty. I'm pretty sure I have, like, two memes I posted on my Instagram page. But, so, like, you, no. you're the problem.
1: I know. I'm contributing to this problem of memes. But, no, I I agree. And I think going on from that, like, one of my pet peeves is this complaint that people aren't doing what we're asking them to do. I'm, like, oh. no obligation oh. to do what we're asking
0: them to do. If they're not
1: doing what you're asking them to do, then here you're we, not asking them to do the right thing. Here you're we go, not we, having the right conversation.
0: We're kicking off now. Here we go. Okay.
1: That, oh, yes. that oh, is wow. just
0: so, so uh, that just ticks every bad box in my book. Yeah. But how I'm like, often do you hear it? Oh, you hear all it all the time. All the
1: time. Uh, oh my God, this parent. Like, you know, I work in PID, so it's often. Parents who cop the brunt rather than the child, but you know, I think it's it's anything if it's in whatever area you work with, whoever your like, I guess client is. Mm. There seems to be this real, oh, like this is my time, and I do all this, and they're not doing, they're not following through on my recommendations.
0: And that was like uh, the, just the whole term "difficult client" because that come. Okay. I, I was reading about this the other day, and I was like, oh my god, this is just riling me up. Um, as far as I'm, and I, I can say earlier in my career, I was probably very, very guilty of falling into this trap as well, and and you know, labeling people as difficult and and that kind of thing until I, you know, I don't know, saw the light or became woke, woke or whatever the kids are saying nowadays. But um, (laughs) (laughs) but like, so here's my opinion of it. There's no such thing as a difficult client. A client isn't their behaviors. A client isn't their ability to connect with you. You you might have a difficult time connecting with a client, but a lot yep. of the time that's probably because of you. And your possibly your inability to be variable to the situation not going to say that's always the case. There may be, you know, values conflicts or personality conflicts. Yeah. That's going to happen no matter, like, who it is. Like, if you agree with everyone, they don't automatically become a difficult person. Yeah. Like, exactly. they're like, oh, I just don't connect with that person. So, you know, I don't talk to them that much. Like, for some reason, when we put ourselves into this hierarchy of, like, I'm the therapist and I'm going to help these people... Whenever we can't actually sort of bridge that gap and make the connection, all of a sudden it's their fault. When yeah. I can guarantee if you look at the relationship from, from the outside, I could almost guarantee that 90% of the time it's the therapist's fault.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I don't want to be i that's probably going to make some people feel really uncomfortable to hear and oh, be like, oh, good. this is like this one person I have and they're like, you know, and yet we all, we all have that, you know, person that we have had difficulty connecting with. I think that's a really good way of phrasing it. But sometimes I think like to add on to the, you know, clashing of values and things, it's also like a a lack of knowledge from the therapist's behalf. So like there is, you know, it's just like we have to come at it from a different way and we might not know that way. It's like, well, you know, we've tried this way that we know that that works normally or this way, this way, this way. It's like, okay, we need another way of coming at this. And Perfect example, the other day I um, posted to one of the um, OT groups I'm a part of and I was talking about how to, does anyone have ways of like uh, any like resources or any like tips in terms of having conversations with parents where there might be some really uncomfortable feelings from the parents, some like denial for want of a better word when you're trying to have that conversation that, you know, we have concerns about your child and they're just thinking, no, 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 i like either I don't want to hear it or that can be very defensive. And instead of being like, well, these parents are just difficult and let's complain about them, I'm like, well, no, I just need to find a way of connecting with them. And, you know, and maybe it is just, you know, being really gentle and taking time and just being really supportive, which was a lot of the advice is just, you know. But I was also like maybe I need to change the way I approaching this conversation for it to work and you know I would never ever say like oh it's the oh these difficult parents you know um you know you might you might be tempted to think it but I just I don't think it's helpful to to say or to to go down that that way of thinking it's like well no okay what can I do what skills can I learn how can I you know use this as to make myself a better therapist you know and I think I don't know I think that's the way you should approach those kind of situations where you are feeling a little bit challenged and, you know, don't take it out on the person. Use it as a learning opportunity to how can I make myself a better therapist, you know? So.
0: Uh, I think 100% and I think uh, I think the way a lot of people need to think about it is so you have trait A in the person and you needs to match trait A in the therapist for there to be the connection. If you've only got trait B in the therapist at that during that time that you're trying to build that relationship, it's not going to be a connection. But if you change therapist to another therapist who has trait A, there's a connection, but then part the first person's like, "Well, it's just that you know, they're just they have different skill set. I'm like, "Well, no, like there's no reason you couldn't learn to apply trait A." yeah you just because you know it might be, and initially any change is uncomfortable doesn't matter what it is that's just the the nature of change is during the process of change it's uncomfortable it sucks most people hate it that's why yeah. most people avoid it, but I can guarantee you if you then learn how to use trait a and you 've got a and b you're going to connect to more people it's magic oh. like that so I think in order for someone to genuinely be difficult, they would have to be dynamically difficult in that they would have to be going out of their way to, so you've got trait A, they're showing trait B. You swap to another therapist who's got trait B, they start showing trait A. They'd have to deliberately almost be different. And then even that tells you something like, okay, why is this person doing that? What, is it a trauma is it a previous experience like what's going on that's making this person want to go out of their way to not yeah. connect with anyone
2: exactly. um
0: so I, I, yeah so even then you've got more than enough information to go well it's not a difficult person maybe they've had you know a difficult past a difficult situation maybe you know it's there's something else other than you know communication style that's stopping this relationship like there's always an. I think communication is an area where OTs, just across the board, can never get enough information. Like we can never stop learning because it's changing. Yeah. Um, I had an interview yesterday, and they were talking about. Um, Different learning style. So, it was It was at the uni. It was talking about different learning styles of students and why, you know, 10 years ago, lectures were lectures and you did a workshop and that was it. And now mm. it's like, you know, we need videos and audios and bright colours and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, because kids are different. Like, when I went yeah. through, when did I go through, 12 years ago or whatever it was, like... We didn't one, we didn't have the technology to do that, but it was a different time. Like it was it was pre smartphone, it was pre like easy accessible laptop. Like most people didn't have a laptop. It was pre a lot of social media. Like Facebook had just started, sort of thing, while it like in the middle of my course, at the start of my course, it didn't exist. Um it was pre so many of these things. It was a completely different world. You're dealing with if you were able to get someone at that age and just bring them to now and put them side by side with some of the students today, they'd be lost. They're completely different people. Yeah, they're from the same town. They're 12 years apart. They would be completely different people. So, yeah. And I think a lot of the time, OT theories and OT's learning on a, a wider scale doesn't keep up. Yeah. Individually, OTs some OT's, uh putting in a real effort to try and keep on top of the very rapidly changing times. But, I think that's
1: like across the board. That's not just like limited to OT though. Oh, that's no, no. Like life at the moment, isn't it? It's and just I mean, health in general. kind of playing yeah. Everyone's playing catch up and, you know, it's just gonna keep accelerating and we just have to, I think, remain really flexible with that. And I think that's a really good point, like we don't know what the, you know, the 20-year-olds of tomorrow, how they're going to communicate, like it's already so different, year by year there's, you know, different terminologies of things and there's different ways of communicating and there's different social media apps and the way that they connect with their peers is different and I think, yeah, we just have to be willing to adapt and then also, you know, if you're the 25-year-old, then conversing with a 50- or 60-year-old, their, their mode of communication is going to be really different. So, yeah, you can't just be like, oh, it's, oh, you know, oh, this, you know, older gentleman that I'm working with oh, is so difficult. It's like, well, you guys come from, you're probably speaking two different languages for one of a better, like, word. You, you're coming yeah. from two different value sets. You're coming from, you know, yeah, you can be from the same town, You know, you can know the same people. You can have a similar background, but it's not really going to be that similar, you know, across age, across culture. Like even, you know, your next door neighbours, whatever they're experiencing is going to be so different to you. And so you just have to, I don't know, I think meet them where they're at is like my approach. Like it's like, well, if I'm not meeting you where you're at and if I'm not acknowledging the things that you need, then I'm not doing my job correctly. Um, And I say that to educators and parents all the time I say please please don't smile and nod at me and say yeah 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 yeah." and then I leave and then you you don't do anything and it's just you know it's useless tell me if what I'm telling you isn't going to work for you I am so open to have you say no can't do that I'll be like cool let's think of another way of doing it you know that's the whole point of this collaborative approach of, you know, like, yeah, we are experts by knowledge, but then, you know, our clients are experts by experience. They're the ones who are living their lives, um, and we have to acknowledge their experience and that they're the expert of themselves, and and meet them there rather than just be like, oh, you're difficult, <laughs> <And> I,
0: I <laughs> too th- hard basket. <laughs> I think that's where I get a bit not miffed, but a bit sort of confused where about us fitting into the health system in a lot of cases. I mean, there's definitely some exceptions, but the communication example for, as an example, we we can't really just, you know, this is how people communicate, off you go, here's your skill set. Because I think a better way of doing that is to, Teach them because we're constantly teaching them about everything is individual, like context, individual occupations, individual meaning, purpose. It's all individual. So, we need to teach you how to get that information out of the individual. And I think the same thing goes for communication. Like, you need to be able to not necessarily go, Here's a 50 year old, I'll switch onto to my 50 year old communication skill set and we're off. Like, it, it doesn't work like that. And I, I don't think we, even on terms of that, just a little side note because I like tangents I, I hear I have heard I I hear students and stuff come back from like placement and they're like oh this you know this 80 year old dude he's so sexist and blah 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 I'm like if you knew what the world was like you know 60 years ago whenever he was you know a young a young man that's that's a reflection of what the the environment was like for him like yeah. it's he's not out there trying to offend you that's the, that's the world he grew up in. Yeah. And I think on terms of us that's a, just another example of where we really we need to learn almost rather than learning hard skill sets, it's almost like we need to learn how to be flexible and adapt concepts in I mean we do that for some things, but it's it's almost like we need to learn to do that in everything. Yeah and Absolutely. i think that's where i get stuck with a lot of health like coming back to what i was originally saying with the health system is the health system is very uh it's kind of very structured and very skill-set based you're a nurse you're on this yep. ward you're a social worker this is your job here's your role description for you know the the janitor like everyone has their very set place to i guess try and make this bigger machine you know work effectively and I think just the the nature of being an OT individually we need to be quite flexible to be effective. And I I don't I, I sometimes I have seen and I've worked in health systems where if nothing else like looking at policy and everything aside, just the concrete structure of our bigger health service doesn't fit with I guess almost the ethos of being a really effective OT and I think a lot of OTs tend to then almost absorb that need for structure into what they're doing and I think a lot of the time what we see with people who are then very prescriptive and very um, you know standardized assessment based and that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. not saying that those are bad things they're definitely not don't jump down my throat anyone (laughs) but there are people that are solely that and that's all they've got in their sort of in their toolbox. And I think that's almost a symptom of trying to take this put this really fluid, flexible profession into a very hard concrete box and ask, yeah. and asking them to do really effective work. Yeah. Like even I,
1: I completely agree. I think that's why OTs like latch on to like programs or therapies where it is a bit more you know, there's, there's a bit of a like, do this, then and do this, then do this. Like it's 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 easier. It's, um, I think that's one of the greatest challenges of our role is to, it's really hard, you know, and, but it's really rewarding when you do it right. And mm. I think that's the thing. And it's also so much more effective and meaningful and purposeful and all those things that we're striving for when you do that. I think, you know, it's, for me like being in that sort of more coaching role where you have to you know be thinking really like critically all the time and it's you just have to be really adaptive and trying to i don't know be really fluid in your thoughts and not just come in with a bit of a set plan in terms of like how things how something's going to go or you know put someone in a particular box you know it's it's challenging it's hard you have to be more um Reactive, I guess, which is hard. Like people like to be proactive. People like to be knowing what's gonna happen and to be able to write a session plan and for that session to go to plan. But being more reactive, not having a session plan, being like, oh, I'm just gonna go in there and see what I'm gonna do. I think it throws people and I get it. I feel uncomfortable sometimes with it, but the more you do it and the more you practice that, I think it's like it's like a muscle, right? That flexible thinking muscle, that ability to um just like adapt to the different situations. Like you need to practice it for it to start to become uh, stronger and easier to do. And it, and it does become easier. and I think yeah, I, I totally agree. I think what you said about having this like really fluid you know profession and then trying to cram it into this more structured box. I think that's where some of that conflict that we were talking about earlier, I mm. think comes about is that some people, you know, want it to be more structured because I guess as humans, that's how we're kind of programmed, right, is to be we like routine, we like structure, we all drive the same way home to and from work and we all do things in a similar way. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um,
0: And like routines and habits and that sort of stuff, again, another thing I've been talking about in the last week with my first years, routines (sighs) and habits are really important to being human and being able to function in the world. Because if we had to put bloody conscious thought into every single thing that we did every day, we'd be asleep by lunchtime. We'd just be wrecked. Yeah. Like, and I just think that the flexibility may be... And I haven't put a lot of thought into this because I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> I wonder whether the flexibility of OT needs to be more around the or even initially around the social aspect and the connection aspect so that we can get a better, like I I just feel like that alone, if we did nothing else but that and make that part more flexible, I think we would have a better understanding of the people we're working with and maybe be able to target some of the more standardized and the more, you know, concrete type interventions better to people Um. Rather than like, I know OTs that will just go in with a checklist and tick tick tick. Okay, yep, we're doing this then because you tick these boxes. I'm like, but yeah, like in reality, what the hell does that even mean? Like you've you've just worked out what category this person fits into according to you know the middle aged white people that 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 came up with the assessment. Oh. What about someone that doesn't fit those parameters? Are we going to force them into one, or are we going to make another parameter? Like, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. I'm starting to sound really anti-standardized assessment, but I'm not. I'm, yeah. I, I think I just, I, I think a lot of the people that I've spoken to take standardized assessment as gospel. Yeah. And I, I still don't think with with regards to this or a lot of things that OTs are really good critical thinkers. I think we could be. I just think it's easier for us not to be. <laughs> and that's probably, oh, yeah. that probably goes for everyone. That's, that's probably a blanket statement that goes for everyone. But I think for, in our instance, we really need to be on the ball with that. And I think, like, I've always, I don't know, maybe I'm, I was always a little punk kid listening to punk music when I was growing up. And maybe that's rubbed off, but I question everything. Yeah. Like, that's always been my, my thing. Like, okay, yep, yeah, we've been doing this forever. Why? Yep. Is it even still relevant? Like, yep. I, I think
1: know. the best thing that's helped me with that is when you have OT students and they come out with you and you just do something and they're like, so why did you do that? And you're like, yeah, why did I do that? It's just so good. And so now I'm always like, just pretend you have a little OT student sitting on your shoulder saying like, why did you do that? You know, and it's like if I can't in my head like, like – Come up with the clinical reasoning for doing something, then, well, yeah, maybe, maybe why am I doing that? And I think that, like, earlier on in my career, it was definitely, you know, I'm doing it because everyone else is. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a bit of that peer pressure mentality in OT. It's like, oh, okay, like, well, this is, you know, what I've been told to do. This is the role that everyone expects me to fill. And so, okay, I'll just go and do it. And, you know, you're new to a job, you try and, you're trying to prove to everyone that you deserve the job and that you, do, you know, that you do know what you're doing. And you can kind of go down this, like, you can get stuck in a loop of just other people's expectations and other people's like, well, this is the way everyone's done it. And then the next OT comes in and just does it the same way. I think, um, yeah, like challenging that and and doing the, like, why? Asking the why questions, I think is...
0: And yeah, it's, I think I
1: yeah, that's critical thinking in a nutshell,
0: right? Pretty much, you, that's that's the basics of it. And I found that when I had students as well, you know, it could have been years since we thought about why we were doing something or how something works. Or um, yeah, I've got I've got quite a few stories around that, but it, I think. Uh, we obviously can't rely on having students to be able to do that. Like no. we, we need to no, be that's able why to I have
1: my little imaginary one on my shoulder. It's like, why are you doing this Simone? I'm like, Oh yeah, cool. I like, yeah. Question, question myself. I think is yeah,
0: good. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think a lot of the time uh, questioning yourself is hard again. It's, it's, <laughs> it requires being honest and it may require you being honest enough with yourself to say shit, maybe maybe that's something i shouldn't have done or maybe i should have done this better or maybe i need to improve these mm. skills and being that honest with yourself it sucks it, it's yeah it, giving yourself really those hard it. truths yeah
1: yeah when you you go like oh yeah or like or when you 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 know you're like oh maybe i should actually look into the you know, research and evidence behind that. And then you realise that that thing that you've been doing because everyone else seems to be doing it is actually not the most effective way to do it. And then, you know, there's a level of guilt and shame, I think, that goes along with it when you have to, you know, that change that you're saying, no one likes change. And all of a sudden you're like that feeling of like, oh, I was wrong. It's uncomfortable, but it's like, well, that's part of the learning process actually, you know, we don't all come out, you know, we don't all start anything that we do in our lives being the expert. Like, you know, I said before the expert of, you know, in knowledge or whatever, but that's like, that's a very mild term of expert. Like it's like we come at it from, that point of view of like, well, we've studied it at, at uni and yeah. we've done the, you know, we have the expertise, I should say, rather than, um, but, you know, like, it's okay to be wrong about things and it's okay to learn and it's okay to get better and it's okay to look back on, you know, yourself five years ago and be like, oh gosh, why did I do that? I think, you know, and it's healthy to talk about and be like, yeah, but if you... If you don't have those conversations with yourself and if you don't, you know, um, I guess be okay with, I don't know, changing and adapting and getting better, then you're just always going to be that OT from five years ago. You know, you're never going to get better. You're not comfortable, like, pushing yourself to get better. There's lots Um, of them. think there is a bit of, like, stagnation, I think. People are just, like, just doing what they've been doing for the last 10, 20 years, and they just keep doing it because, you know, it's comfortable, it works, and, you know. I just, I don't know. It's not for me. I'm like...
0: Well, so say the podcast that I did just before this one um, was with an awesome dude from Canada called John John Rivera, Um, and he he essentially told this big story about, Uh, a time when essentially he really stuffed up but that's like the learning and the the growth that came from that and that was uh probably the main thing that we were sort of talking about was his his, I guess overall message was go and fail like what like yeah yeah, okay sometimes it's not good and if obviously you're not trying to fail deliberately like if you can do something do it but like, take a chance. Do something you've always wanted to do. Try something new. Um, if you, You're going to learn more from failing than you ever will from, you know, sitting in your comfort zone. Like, even your basic, like, zone proximal development, your basic developmental theories talk yeah. about that. Like, push outside your comfort zone, then your comfort zone expands. You get better. You improve. You aim for yeah. mastery. You know, you, the things that you end up being really good at, get bigger. Like... The, you get really good at more things but you get more comfortable with much more things and i i think i think i think too often that theory because i actually really like that theory but too often we just associate it with kids yeah But i'm like we could, why, why can't why would i stop pushing like you know i'm yeah. I, how old am i 33 34 33 Jeez. <laughs> um uh, why Why can't I keep pushing that zone?
1: Just before we started this, I literally had a conversation with a mum who was calling me about um, some concerns her child's teacher had raised. And I was literally saying this to her and she she's fantastic. She just was so great in terms of like she, we were just completely on the same page about this and we were talking about, yeah, like, learning is fine, like it's okay that you're not excelling at something right now and that, you know, like let's just give, it's about creating a really like healthy and positive learning environment and recognising that the success is in the learning and in the failing and then the getting better and the improvements rather than just this end product. Um, And, you know, I was talking about how I think I was, I was like really recommending that she goes back and talks to the teacher about this because it's kind of like the teacher's like, is not there yet, you know, and I was like, well, it's actually the teacher's role to help him get there and to create an environment which is really positive. And I was saying, you know, like as adults, like we start to shy away. And I think it's really sad for me to hear that in, in a five year old, we're kind of like it's almost like punishing learning. It's like, oh, you you tried something but you're not that very you're not very good at it. So you know, there's like that level of judgment there rather than being like, oh, you tried something. That's so great. You tried it, you know, and maybe next time you'll be a little bit better at it. Yeah. And then the next time you'll be even better at it and being, you know, celebrating, not celebrating the values, but like acknowledging the values as progress and as steps in the right direction. And I think, you know, I just think, yeah, we, we try and encourage that and foster that in our children but then over time it's i don't know it does seem to get stamped out and we sort of stop doing it for ourselves and well that, that's it yeah, like, i totally agree i think that's something that
0: like yeah. how, how weird is it that when we when people are kids like it's that's how they're learning oh like little tommy decided he tried to take his first step but he fell over it was really cute haha the next day oh he actually got his first step now he can walk she said so blah blah blah. then when we get to adults it's almost like but that that's expected we've got checklists that tell you that you sh- you know when you should be able to do that like that's that's standard that kind of stuff is standard. taking those chances and trying new things is encouraged and stand and even in therapy we're like presenting kids with new things so that they can meet these standards yeah. but then when we get to adults it's people like that that still do that like entrepreneurs and you yeah. know some sports people or you know people that might climb Everest or something like that. people that actually go out and try things that people are like looking up to, like they're special when that's what we've all done as kids to get where we are now and then for some reason we just stopped and the people that didn't and kept doing it are like, oh my God, like how do they do that? That's amazing. I'm like, anyone can do it. Yeah. Put yourself absolutely. out there and try things. Yep. Like
1: if- I think it comes, to like, I think there's an aspect of, like, self-confidence and self-assuredness. Like, I actually, it's so funny you gave the walking example because that's the exact example I gave to this mum. And I said, you know, you see, you know, a young child learning to walk and they get up and then they fall over and they don't just give up and feel bad about themselves. They just get up and try again. You know, this when, we, when they're young, it's like we, we kind of get taught to be, I guess, self-conscious of failure and to shy away from it. It's not something that's like innate. I mean, you look at all children and they try and they try and they can fail a million times, but they'll still keep trying. But it gets to the point where it's like, we need to foster that environment of learning. And as adults, we need to, I guess, make that environment ourselves. You know, there's there's not, you know, our parents and teachers aren't sitting there like applauding every like time we take a little baby step. And so we have to kind of find a way to internally motivate and validate ourselves rather than just like relying on this external um, validation that is never going to be there. As adults, we're not going to have someone who's patting us on the back every time we make a little tiny step of progress. We just have to, I guess, push ourselves and be comfortable with, stumbling every so often and landing on our butts and then brush ourselves up and keep going without someone, you know, cheering us on every step of the way. So
0: Pat on the back. Yeah. Well, yeah, like I wonder, obviously there's something, and we're talking like global change here. This this is real pie in the sky stuff, but (sighs) I wonder in order to instill that, I guess, intrinsic motivation to be able to step, outside of your comfort zone as adults I can't help but think you know the generations before us probably had that more and it makes me wonder like what's changed in how we bring up like specifically what's changed in how we bring up kids that the adults that they're becoming no longer like are chasing safety and are chasing you know chasing that comfort zone essentially like even the the concept of the american dream that was a comfort mm-hmm. zone people were aiming for that like yeah no one but the generations before that that essentially developed modern society like there, there was so like there were so many people seemingly doing things that you know were way outside the box and yeah we know now looking back through history that some of it failed and some of it was amazing success and some of them did okay and but they all tried, like, and some of them, a lot of the stories you hear, like, of really successful people are people that tried, like, there's quotes floating around all the time about how many times Michael Jordan was dropped from his high school basketball team and stuff like yeah. that, like, yeah, these are the people that we now revere yeah. when, if a kid was like we are and they just stopped, we'd be yeah. like, oh, there's something wrong, we need to get them into therapy to fix it. Yeah, yeah. Like, It just seems like. I don't know, I think we can learn more from kids than we give it credit for.
1: Oh, absolutely. Especially
0: with regards Uh to learning.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, that's why I like working with kids is they're really inspirational. Like they definitely, um, you know, you're like, gosh, if you can do it, like, look at you go. Oh, I should be a bit more like adventurous and, you know, uh, here I am encouraging you to just, you know, work on something that's a bit challenging for you and, you know, but I'm there every step of your way. I don't know. I, I definitely get inspired by the kids that I'm working with. Like, I don't know. Maybe we all get inspired by our clients that we're working with because they're generally doing things that are hard for them, but they're, you know, they're persevering and they're giving it a go. And I think that's really, you know, something's like, well, we shouldn't necessarily have to get to a point where, I don't know, that we're we're in a position where, I don't know, that where we'd need an OT, for example, in order to show that perseverance and change. Like, I think we should just do it every day. And, you know, us as OTs, you know, I think it's a really good example. Like, you know, if we do that in our daily lives, then we sort of exude that onto our clients who we work with as well. It's like, yeah, like you're working on this thing, I'm working on this thing. Like, yeah, it's hard. And, and then you can really, I think, Like looping back to what we were talking about around like connectedness and communication, it's like, well, yeah, if you're actually going through that learning process yourself, like you're going to understand where you're going to be able to connect so much deeply, like Mm -hmm. on a more deeper level, sorry, if with your with who you're working with because you're like, yeah. Like, you know, you're not just sitting there telling them to do it. It's like, well, yeah, I'm working on something too and it's hard and it's challenging and I know what it's like to fail. And so when they're having a day where it's like this is getting, you know, they're disheartened because they've plateaued or maybe they've regressed a bit or, you know, stuff happens and you can relate to it on a because you've gone through it. Whereas if you just kind of sit within your like little comfort zone the whole time. Mm. You just, that's where you're going to say, oh, they're a bit difficult because you have nothing to relate to their challenges. I, think
0: I was talking to, I did a podcast two, two before this one with uh, <laughs> Megan Harris, and we were talking about uh, therapists who are able to, you know, even if they've been through really traumatic stuff or, or anything really, but they're able to then use their own experience uh, almost as a, a tool to either mm-hmm. either directly with their clients or you know, just using the experience to be able to empathize or relate, but essentially using their own experiences to become a better therapist. And I think the same mm-hmm. thing a- applies with that. Like mm-hmm. if you haven't pushed yourself to do anything new in 15 years, but you're trying to get your clients to do it, you, you have no understanding of even just the... And it could be something completely different I so, say, yeah. okay, I'm going to go on a random tangent now because it's just yeah, reminded no, no. me. So <laughs> I watched a video. There's a guy on YouTube that I, I quite like. He's a filmmaker. His name's Matt D'Avella. Um, oops, I just hit my mic stand. It's making noises. Um, his name's Matt, Matt Diavella, and he's a filmmaker, makes a lot of YouTube videos. He's also a minimalist um, and just has a, he also has a podcast called The Ground Up Show, but he has a lot of... The podcast is mainly around, like, creatives, so he gets a lot of filmmakers and artists and that sort of stuff. And But he, he's doing this thing this year where each month he's taking on a different challenge. And the video I watched the other day was this month he's doing cold showers for a month. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's weird. But then when I watched the video, I'm like... He explained why, and I'm like, that makes so much sense. So... It was, The idea came to me, I can't remember the name of the guy's book, but the book's called The Flinch. Um, and it's essentially the concept that whenever we're about to delve into something new or scary, you have that flinch moment before. And the basic thing is you either push through that flinch and get it done or you recoil from the flinch. So the cold showers thing is essentially like, the very lowest, most basic step you can do to train your body into the habit of pushing through that flinch. Because, you know, if you put the water on and it's freezing cold, even then, and he actually showed it in the video, he, like, slowed it down. He's like, it was, like, that initial, like, pause and, like, oh, crap, do I have to do this kind of thing? But it's about training the the mind just to not pull back from that flinch and still push through it. Mm Mm-hmm obviously through something completely unrelated to anything else, but he was saying the theory is that by building that habit around something really small and achievable, Mm
2: -hmm. sounding familiar, we're Mm -hmm. able to
0: then do it on a much larger scale. Yeah. So I, I think even from that point of view, like OTs who aren't, challenging themselves or pushing themselves even if it's got nothing to do with like what you're trying to push yourself on it's nothing at all to do with what you're trying to work on with your clients yeah Yeah. the 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 basic concept of change and the basic so even the this concept of the flinch and pushing through that and being uncomfortable sitting with the uncomfortableness of change is very similar so even being able to relate that aspect i think to the people you work with it's going to be a massive benefit and besides that it's personal development you're trying to make yourself a better human like there's no i i fail to see the the downside yeah of of trying to like okay you make yourself better which is gonna make you a better therapist which is gonna get better outcomes for your clients which you know if you're in private practice means you're probably going to get more clients like i did there's just no downside but we still avoid it and i think the main reason is it's that initial the flinch that initial uncomfortableness we know it's coming
2: mm-hmm. we we
0: understand we i don't think as a profession we understand motivation very well but we know enough to know that before we take that step it's going to feel horrible in a lot mm-hmm. of cases so like people yeah. like you who have dove in and you know are starting your own business like that's the sort of stuff I'm like that's awesome because i understand that oh crap moment yeah before you dive in and do it but you still do it
1: yeah it's literally like standing on the edge of a pool where you know it's cold or like when you're at the ocean and being like i just gotta go for it exactly and it is there is there is the moment where it's like i don't have to do this i could just like run away and then that's the easier choice but sometimes you just gotta i don't know just harden up and just go for it and it is and I think what the more you do that the easier that it then comes and you realize that it's actually not that scary and yeah we t- I I do this with children all the time and you probably do it with the guys that you've worked with and you probably do it with your students as well in terms of being like setting them a challenge for it's like you know it's gonna you know you test them a little bit and it's gonna be a bit uncomfortable it's in that that zone of like oh you know I'm not quite used to this and then they do it and they get through it and you can almost see the realization in their eyes where they're like "Ah, that wasn't that bad you're like no it wasn't and you just keep building on that and I think that's yeah I definitely think that that's something that as therapists we should be looking at our daily lives like what what are those little things that we're doing that are just you know making us uh, go Uh Yeah, flinch, I guess Flinch and then go through it I really like that
0: I think it's a It's, it's a book I, like, I literally only watched the video like yeah. this week I think it was a couple of days ago And I'm like, oh, I actually wouldn't mind having a look at that book Because it sounds like an interesting concept yeah. now, Obviously, it's more targeted around business, I, I think Yeah, But, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that Like that kind of stuff Especially yeah. around motivation and drive And that kind of stuff Which is very, very transferable Absolutely, And yes, I understand that there's issues around taking that verbatim and putting it in a therapeutic context. But those of people who, you know, have some basic therapeutic level knowledge of motivation can apply similar concepts. Like there's no therapy book that talks about, you know, going through the, the barrier into or outside of your comfort zone using a cold shower. Like mm. in a lot of ways, those sort of business things tend to do a better job at transferring a message than some therapeutic books. Yeah. But I, I, I think there's value in. I don't think OT particularly reaches outside of the profession very well. But I think there's a lot of value in it, in getting yeah. those kinds of things and bringing them back in because we can use that. Like that's that's yeah. useful information.
1: Yeah. No, that's awesome. I will look into that. It sounds like a really interesting video and also interesting book so
0: he's, yeah he's pretty cool he's pretty cool that guy and i'm biased but yeah i'm a fan yeah good <laughs> so what's 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 the next step now you've gone through your initial flinch into starting this business what's the uh what's the what's yeah. the grand plan?
1: So now it's, I guess, yeah, it's just trying to get in that stage of um, building a business and trying to get clients, I guess, and trying to um, get your name out there and find out, you know, who your potential clients are, like who, who or who they will be, and then finding a way to connect with them, I think. So I don't know. Theoretically, we should be good at this, right, as OTs, like figuring out. (laughs) <laughs> who, who we need to see and, and then how to connect with them. But, um, yeah, I think I'll just, I'll see how it goes. And I guess you use the contacts you have and, you know, um, it is a bit of a word of mouth industry, I guess. So it, particularly for, like, you know, private practice and stuff. But, yeah, just keep plugging away at the uh, the videos. of getting better at them. It's so funny looking back on my first videos and being... Just knowing how terrible they are, but I think that that's another flinch moment. I it's think contact. it's contact. It's
0: it's about I, just doing yeah.
1: it. It's it's so funny. I remember sitting in so my first video I did in this uh, hostel in Mexico, and it's so heavily edited because I was so nervous. I think that and was, I, I think, think that was
0: just after we did the last podcast. I think so. Yeah. Oh no! Or just, it before, been just before. Just before.
1: No, it was it would have been a couple of months later. It might have been when you released it. I don't know uh, yeah, I went to a few countries in between Japan and Mexico, but uh uh yeah, I just that hindsight of just being like, I was so nervous and you can hear it in my voice, and it was a video. it was such it was just so so nothing and um now I just feel, yeah, I've just practiced it and practiced it and Hopefully, getting better. And I, I, look at, I look at you, and I'm just like, oh my god! From get go, you were just so confident with the podcasting thing. And I don't know, what's your like flinch moment? What's your thing that you've moving oh. into lately? Cold shower? No, I don't
0: know. Um,
1: Cold shower <laughs> show challenge. Yeah. Keep us um, updated how it's going.
0: No, I, well, I think because a couple of other people have gone like, oh, I don't know how you do that, and I'm like, well. I think for technology stuff I think cuz it's one of those things where it it's been a part of my professional life for so long like it's very much in my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So putting this is in a way kind of easier than some of, like some of this. Like I've done a heap of webinars and a heap of workshops and you know a whole heap of like conference presentations where you're like in front of a physical audience, so yeah, to a degree, and, and I talk to people all the time. Like I love talking to people, so th- that that aspect isn't isn't particularly hard for me either. So I think in a way, this is this is well inside my comfort zone. It was more around, and I didn't see it as a. Uh, a comfort zone more of a just a learning opportunity was learning you know about audio and microphones and editing and all that sort of stuff but that was again still inside my comfort zone for, so to me that was just fun yeah um i i actually did a uh, an insta live actually i did one a couple of weeks with um uh, another lady who i will have on the podcast in may um but I did one, my first one, just me, I think, or maybe the second one. No, it was the first one, or it was just me talking. Um, that was a bit of a a flinch. It took me only a little bit because, like, the technology side of things, that's still inside my comfort zone. But um, I, the, uh, I don't know, just putting, I guess, your face out there. It's probably similar yeah. to what to what you went through when you first put yours out, like. There's something different about me putting my voice and just the audio files and, yeah, even pictures and stuff like Instagram, whatever. Um, and putting a video out there discussing. And I don't know why, because there's concepts that I would not even hesitate to talk about on here. Um, but there was just something slightly like, ooh, am I going to get judged or heckled or like, I don't know. I don't, I can't understand it. It would just. I still did it, but there was a slight hesitation where I sat here because I did it here, and I sat here in front of the phone going, okay, all right. As soon as I put the button on, it's on now. It's time to do it. So, But uh, it's it's an area that I don't know. I'll I'll probably do a little bit of, and it's something that I'm – actually, we may have even started by the time this one comes out, but I'm planning to do sort of – regular whether weekly or something sort of little short chat similar to that one with another podcaster Sarah yep. um so we're gonna yeah just try and do like a little 10 minute 10 15 minute insta live about something you know something that's come up that week or just some sort of topic discussion just to try and keep com mainly because it's fun and we get to chat to each other then but uh yeah you know keep the topics rolling and so that'll be That'll be... I think I'll be okay with it. I have a feeling she's going to flinch pretty hard at that. <laughs> um, cause so that's I,
1: on Instagram? Yeah. Like if we want to... Yeah, cool.
0: Yeah, Bye. so that'll be on Instagram. Keep an eye out for that. Keep an eye out for it. But I'm also saving them and I've been putting them in the, the occupied com- uh, community Okay. as well. So you can watch the replays in there. That's but, awesome. Um, yeah, little little tech things. Other than that, like public speaking doesn't phase me anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I, I Maybe I'm one of those people that I need to find something that pushes yeah, me. Yeah, you
1: just preached about having to. I know, show. right?
0: Well, because I do all these things and they all used to, but now nothing's – I'm sure there is something.
1: Well, maybe you've just made your comfort zone so big that,
0: you I'm know. I'm just too comfortable. I just <laughs> –
1: Hashtag
0: goals, right there. You just oh, gotta. No, now I gotta take up like pushing and... Oh, I don't know, skydiving or something. Like just, rock, uh,
1: yeah.
0: I need to find the next thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I anything I need I to find. Know, actually, I think I think what I need to do is find something that doesn't involve technology because technology is very much inside my comfort zone. So, um, yeah, maybe I'll take up making wooden boats or something. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I I mean, I think it's interesting to hear you talk about, you know, like, yeah, these things used to challenge me and now they don't. And it's like, yeah, I guess that's what happens when you expand your comfort zone is, you know, you get, you get more comfortable. And it's probably things that maybe, you know, would have been a flinch moment or something that you would have found challenging, but now you just go for it because you've, you've practiced just going for it so many times that you're like, Oh, there's, there's no fear on the other side anymore. You're just like, Oh, Whatever will be will be, and I think yeah, that's what I strive to do is just to to be in that headspace where you're like, I'm just going to give things a go and not get too caught up doing it. And I mean, yeah. So I, I guess that kind of contradicts what we we're saying about being able to get to the point where you can like do it to be able to relate to your to your clients. Um, but I think we can all like if you've had that experience doing it before, you can definitely. Still yeah, relate yeah. and draw on those previous feelings of like, yeah, no, it is really hard. But you know, like, um, I don't know. And but then you can set a good example and can be like, yeah, like this one, you know, this is what I went through. This is the process, and you can help them through it and realize that you know there is light at the end of that that tunnel. And it's- but,
0: but I think there's like this. So there's certain things that you can do to push within each sort of, I guess, realm that you're in. So within. Technology, I, there's probably a few things still that I could do that I would actually be interested in doing that might push yeah. me a little bit. But for the most part, that's in my comfort zone. Public speaking, presenting, that's all fine, which is you know incorporates a lot of the stuff that I have to do at work and that kind of thing. Like a lot of the spaces that I'm in, yeah. I've overcome most of the challenges. So it, it's probably almost time to find a new space kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, which is why I was like, oh, maybe I'll try the cold shower thing just to see what it was like. But it's Townsville, so the water doesn't even get that cold. So, <laughs> I
2: was gonna a waste say, of time. You probably have cold <clears throat> showers
1: anyway.
0: Why? Well, <laughs> so cold there. showers are just warm showers. So, yeah. But um, yeah. You can
1: I, find something else. Have an ice bath every day or something. Well,
0: I was just thinking that just then, like that's I when, when I was playing footy, that's I used to do that, and I would there was every time definitely a massive flinch from that. Oh yeah. Because yeah. that is. that's 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 a a shock to the system
1: flinch as well though to be honest i think that's your body being like no i've definitely experienced this before and there's some there's some real pain that goes along that's a trauma flinch
0: yeah but i still actually found the video the other day when the um the ice bucket challenge thing was a big thing going around and i did mine in an ice bath i was sitting in the ice bath and then tipped more ice over and i couldn't speak like I was. I yeah, it was just absolute shock to the system. But yeah, maybe that's what I'll do. I'll do something just to go. challenge. There, there go. you
1: go.
0: Um, maybe I'll take a know, ballroom dancing or something random just to try and challenge. Don't give I me that. I used to look. ballroom
1: dance. I can. <laughs> it's a great hobby. It's so good.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> it's really fun.
0: Steph Healy, who's been on the podcast, I believe she's a, uh, a an avid ballroom dancer.
1: Oh, there you go. As well, take so. up ultimate frisbee. Get ready for the uh,
0: yeah the your national nationals? championships
1: that are coming your way.
0: Yeah, yeah. I could. Uh, I don't know if I'd make the team this this close to the nationals, yeah, maybe but not.
1: I'll
0: give it a crap. I'll
1: teach you to throw once when I'm up there.
0: Yeah, do it. Let's do it. That'd be good.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a learning curve of a skill. I think learning to. Learning to throw a frisbee. There's a few different ways of doing it. So you master one and then there's still more to learn. See, there so you go.
0: I didn't even know there was more than one way to throw a frisbee. So there exactly. you go. Already outside my go. comfort zone. I think awesome. we, we may have found the win.
1: Awesome. <laughs> I'll tee you up with the with the team up there. You know, Sounds like a plan.
0: Good so good people. <laughs> so what's, <laughs> what's going on with the rocket? Any expansions? Yeah, um, any new revelations?
1: Ah, oh, in terms of, So I. I've just, yeah, been trying to put out more higher quality videos in terms of doing it. I think I I often talk about it in relation to children and young people in terms of regulation development. Um, But just yesterday, so by the time this podcast comes out, it's probably been up for a couple of weeks, but um, did a video relating it to us as adults. And I think um, it's sort of an area that I've been interested in uh, looking at and, and going down is, is talking about like how regulation and how we can support our regulation as adults um, in, and talk about it more. I think, you know, it's something that we always talk about with kids and we always look at and we're always like, you know, discussing their social emotional development and, you know, their ability to self-regulate. But then when it comes to adults, we don't necessarily um, put the same focus on it either personally like to ourselves or uh, to our colleagues or um, uh, relationships that we might have or our friends. And I think it's a really valuable conversation to have. And I think, you know, what we know about regulation is it's so environmentally um, influenced that I think it could be something that organizations or, you know, businesses or, or people take on um, in order to, you know, cause it is a predictor of, you know, um, professional success you know the it's it's interesting that it's just something that i don't think i've never worked in a workplace where we've talked about you know like what do you need to support your self regulation or talking about self regulation at all you know and i just would love to change that i would love to start people talking about regulation as if it's you know it's not a taboo subject i think we only ever talk about it when people are maybe going through some form of distress or um, you know maybe some mental health issues or something we'll talk about regulation but you know I think it can help everyone I think it's you know you can always be in a be just aware of the environment you're, up, you're in and how you, you know you can the supports you can put in place to um, you know make your life easier and then if you're putting less energy into regulating yourself you're gonna have much more, you know, energy to apply to the things that you want to do. Really, so yeah. If anyone's interested in it, they can head over to either my website, which is rocketot.com, or my Facebook page, which is where I tend to put the videos. Um, or and then I also upload them to YouTube for people who aren't on Facebook. Uh, but yeah, I just I don't. It's it's an area that I think OTs have really. Um, sort of taken charge of to an extent, especially in paediatrics. Um, but it's an area that I, I just really want us to look at much more holistically and not just associate regulation with sensory processing. I think um, it simplifies what regulation is and, and it you know, and it detracts from those things that I was talking about before, you know, like those uh, occupation and environment I think are, The to be areas that we need to look at and we can't just like look at an individual and just focus on the person. And even when we do look at the person, you know, there's there's multiple factors there. It's not just sensory processing, which, yeah, people tend to focus on first and foremost. And I'm not saying that sensory processing doesn't have an impact on regulation. It definitely does. And even as adults, we can look at and acknowledge that. Um, But I think we need to not look at it first Um, because if we look at it first, then that's all we're probably going to see. Whereas, yeah, if we take it that step back. So if anyone has any feedback on the model, I always
2: Always like to to hear
1: from other OTs and any feedback. So, yeah, and the the next thing I want to do with it is just to sort of talk about it in terms of resilience and stresses and how it fits in with, um, with those sort of things. So, yeah, I don't know. Did that answer your question? That's was probably yeah, a really yeah. long, rambling answer. I'm sorry. That's all right. They're <laughs> my, fa- <they're> my
0: favourite. <laughs> so is it is it different talking about those sort of concepts with an adult as opposed to a kid or, like, should we expect a, an adult rocket to come out sometime soon or is it similar um, concepts or?
1: No, because I always kind of talk about how, well, when I designed the rocket, it was for both regulation development but also like regulation full stop, like, you know, like, ha- so it's about, you know, looking at how we can support it, you know, regulation to to move, I guess, from a more co-regulation where um, we as adults are really supporting a child to regulate to the self-regulation concept of they, you know, they're doing things a bit more independently. Um, but it's also looking at like what things impact our regulation on a day-to-day basis. So I think, you um, the component parts of the rocket are still very relevant, whether you're looking at it from more of a developmental point of view or uh, in the moment, like, kind of almost like Kawa-esque. I think, I, you know, there was a bit of motivation there in terms of that you can look at it, you know, like, in the moment. Um, and I definitely wanted something where people could sort of look at um, and utilise um, in the moment, like, what's going on with you know this occupation, or uh, you know in th- this current environment, and how can you know like what do I need to do in order to support my regulation um, within within a moment in time?
0: How because this is something that I've been thinking about on off and on, not necessarily in a pediatric context, but uh, how I'll be interested to hear your what you think. How. Does say, understanding your regulation and that kind of stuff, how does that fit with resilience, which you mentioned before? With what, sorry? Resilience.
1: Resilience. Um, I think for me, and I mean, I'm not an expert on resilience, and so, you know, if anything I do say is wrong, I apologise. But for me, like a part of, you know, like resilience is being able to um, recover and bounce back from stresses. And I think if you have good self-regulation skills, that when something comes and, you know, causes you stress, that you have a way. So essentially regulation is, you know, and there's, there's so many different definitions of regulation and some people focus more on emotional regulation or, um, you know, behavioural regulation. But for me it's um, being able to, the way I define it, is to regulate your, your thoughts and your emotions and your behaviours your attention and your arousal and by regulate I mean that you can maintain it or that you can change it in order to um achieve an occupational outcome essentially um, so for me it's not just I can regulate it's I can regulate to do something um, and that's that was the motivation of the model it's like a, a, I always say, like, self-regulation isn't a goal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? You know, like, you don't you you don't just get to a point where you self-regulate and you self-regulate in every single environment, doing every single occupation. It's very um, contextual, I think. And so for me, the resilience is, like, building enough, like, being able to do a lot of things in a lot of different environments because you have, um, you have, a lot of skills to draw upon. So you have those, like, personal factors like, um, you know, the executive functioning, your self-awareness, your emotional understanding, your um, sensory processing, you know, you've met your basic needs. You have all these things that then mean that no matter, I mean, no, not no matter what comes at you, but, like, you can withstand more um, more stresses. Like, so if something comes that you have ability to, like, bounce back from that sooner because you have the tools to be able to uh, recognize what you need um, to do, like to be able to, you know, maybe to change your emotional state um, in order to do what it is you need to do. So, you know, say something bad happens when you're at work and you're really thrown by it, but you have the ability to then, you know, get through that moment in time. It's like I need to do X, Y, and Z to be able to leave work, to be able to attend to this crisis. Mm-hmm. But you, you can do that. You don't just like melt into a blobbering mess on the floor kind of thing. So I guess it's like, oh, it's hard. I guess I haven't, like, really thought through this answer very well. Um, But it's in terms of, like, being able to, like, well, you know, what changes can I make to my environment in order for me to be able to get through this particular um, stressor? Because I think resilience only comes about in terms of stresses, like something happens that we have to be resilient to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And so, but also it's like being able to perform many occupations. So for me, in the model, it's represented as planets. Um, And so I always talk like there's millions of planets. It's not just one to choose from. And so we might work on getting someone to a particular occupational planet, but then it's like, well, ideally we want them to be able to access as many planets as they can. Um, And I think that's kind of like resilience, being able to do a lot of things within a lot of different environments because of this, skills that you've developed. Yeah. Does that make sense? I don't know if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, no, no, sense, no that makes sense. That, a really that, bad answer. that makes
0: yeah. no no, that makes sense. And it kind of fits with something I've been I've been sort of toying with an idea for a little bit around and I guess you could probably you could either call it resilience or it'd be part of resilience. Uh I've been thinking about, you know, how OTs use habits and routines clinically and and I get the feeling that we are very, heavy, in mental health anyway, I can't speak for other other, pla- other practice areas, but I get the feeling that we're very reliant on habits and routines and we spend a lot of time supporting the people we work with to build healthy habits and build routines and um, that kind of thing. But we, I don't feel like we spend enough time building the adaptability to cope with when the routine doesn't go as planned. So we, we spent ages and ages teaching someone to, you know, say it's a morning routine so they can get to work and putting that in place and enacting that. And yeah, it works sweet when everything's, you know, as prescribed, uh, so to speak. But then, you know, one little thing happens. And and as we know, like, and again, teacher, my first year is this at the moment, but, um, you know, when we're looking at routines, the whole purpose of it is so that we can get through a number of things without putting too much energy into it, without yep. putting too much thought. And when one aspect of that routine is changed or missing, then all of a sudden we flick back into this mode where we have to think about every step because one of them is yep. missing and we're not sure which and etc. etc. I know a lot of people who I've worked with in mental health and I am 100% I guess guilty would be the word, of doing this with the the people that I work with is we build these routines and then every now and then there's a slight change and the whole thing falls apart. And, again, similar to what we were talking about before, it's usually like, oh, such and such is having a meltdown or such and such is, you know, yeah. not coping or whatever. And, you know, yeah, sometimes we can feel like we're being... Oh, I don't know, client centered by, you know, not blaming them and that sort of thing. But in reality, it's probably more us that have, yeah. I say done, but enabled that process to happen. Yeah. And I have no idea how, I haven't, I haven't worked out exactly how we can probably go about better teaching people that flexibility uh, of thought. But, I I have some ideas about that. Can I jump in? Go for it. I I would love you to.
1: Because, you know, coming from a background where I've worked with a lot of uh, individuals on the spectrum, it's almost the reverse. Like, uh, I mean, obviously we put in a lot of structure and routine because, you know, everyone responds good to structure and routine, um, and in particular children um, on the and individuals on the spectrum, you know, respond and um, find it really useful to have structure and routine. But one of the things that I often talk about is then the flip side, which is we have to create that flexible thinking and the problem solving and using the executive functioning part of things. And so just the, as you're talking, I was like, okay, I can picture the, like, say what the using my the, the rocket model what that would look like. So like well the environment has really built up the um, habits and past experiences part of the the rocket it's it's really strong like that and that's how that's what's driving the rocket to get to um, the occupations that they need to do is by using habit and routine but the executive functioning part of it's really really small and it's been kind of neglected and so then as soon as like you know a stressor comes along and My thing is going to be, it's going to be like asteroids. So like an asteroid comes along, hits a rocket, sends it off on a different trajectory. That's where you kind of need the executive functioning to kind of kick in to like get you back on on course um, because your habits and routines being damaged, but you need, okay, well, where's the problem solving side of that? Where's that flexibility of thinking? And the reason I sort of bring that back to working with children with autism is, I'm like, OK, once you've got that structure, that routine that, you know, they, that's helping them to engage in the occupations they need to. So they've got their regulation, they're regulated. Um, then we need to actually change up those habits and routines. And it can be things like I've worked with children who have a huge meltdown if, they, um, if their parents have to drive a different way home from wherever they're going. And, you know, road works happen, um, construction happens, accidents happen on the road. And so this is something that we can't necessarily predict but it's very likely to happen at some point. Um, so things we do is like, well, we start to change how they move from point A to point B in a safer environment where, you know, maybe it's to go and do something motivating. So it could be around the school, okay, we're going to go do something really fun over here in the school, we normally walk this way. Today, we're going to walk this way, and even something like that can be mm. really hard for these children. Yeah. And I've worked with these kids and just been like, oh, "I'm sorry, like that way's not available," and it's it can it can be really hard for them, and they can find it really stressing. But then, as soon as they get to that point where you're like, "Oh, and oh, we made it here," you know, it's it's, it's that we got through, we're fine it hasn't, you know, it was uncomfortable while we are in it, but, like, we've made it through, and then they have this really big, great reward, something really motivating at the end of it, then they're like, oh, oh, like, it's okay to do something slightly different. And you've got to start off with something that's obviously small enough, I think, in terms of challenging that flexibility of thought that then, um, and then obviously having a really positive outcome at the end. So then it's like, oh, like, all that uncomfortableness actually oh, now I feel like, oh, I actually got something really cool out of that. And then you just keep building on that and building on that. Um, And I think, but then it's also choosing times to do that. Obviously, you don't want to do it when they're already dysregulated. You want to put in that structure and that routine and sort of bring it back. But then in those times where, you know, they are pretty regulated, you can, you know, they're within that zone where you want to push them into that zone of proximal development then you start to put in the challenges, and you can do it when you're in control as well. You know, like set up some sort of problem, or you know, you know, set it up so it's that just right challenge, and that you have you're prepared for it, so you can have the um, the things in place in order to support them through that, and then you know you've you've supported them to to do something different that's outside of their habits and routines. So. I think that's definitely, like, part of our role, you mm. know. It's, like, it's kind of a uh, double-edged sword, I guess. Like, habits and routines can be so good and so very helpful for people who need it, but then at the same time, we also need to be working on, you know, setting them up to have the skills to cope when those routines or habits yeah. fall apart or, uh, you know, something something happens that stops that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Does that... Yeah, yeah, no, that's, with- and that, that sounds <laughs> that's,
0: like... Pretty similar yeah. to like, so, I, like, for example, like I work at a couple of people that were similar to this in that, you know, we'd set them up with, you know, a routine to say manage their medication and pick up their medication and deal with the scripts. Like, we had a routine around that, and that was all kosher. Everything was going along smoothly. And then there'd be something like the pharmacists would say, oh, I can't dispense your meds because the doctor hasn't written the right number on the script. Something really. Essentially minor, because then, in order to fix that, normally you ring up the doctor, the doc, or the pharmacist would ring the doctor. Doctor would give them the number, and that's it, done. Um But just that disruption to the very concrete routine that we'd been building, yeah, and everything would fall apart. And I'd find the person three days later at home after they'd been on a bender, like. Yeah. extreme examples, like extreme um, deviations from from what, you know, normal behaviour based on something yeah. that is what we would perceive as a relatively small, relatively simple uh, thing that most of us would just go, oh, okay, can you give the dock a ring? Yep, yeah, no worries, which dock is it sort of thing. Um, yeah. But it's a matter of, uh, I guess, in that particular context, it was like, well, how... Obviously, I hadn't realized that or had that revelation at the time of working with that person, but now I'm thinking, like, what would I do? How could I have, I guess, better prepared him for, you know, the variations that life throws at us? Yeah. Essentially trying to prepare people for life, and life isn't so structured that, you know, we can predict every movement and everything that's going to happen and, you know, be prepared. And I think that's where a lot of my... Interest in a lot of the occupational transitions comes in as well because it's not just preparing for the ones that we know are coming. It's like how do we get people through those transitions that you know we didn't see coming, like accident and yeah. injury and natural disaster. And I, yeah. I think resilience is something that I, for me personally, maybe this can be my new comfort zone that I need to push out of is um, is learning a lot more about resilience and how it can be applied and how it relates to. OT and how it relates to occupation
1: yeah I, I mean I, I would love for you to do a podcast on that with someone who <laughs> I guess is you know who really closely looks at it and yeah. I think you know it's it's sort of been a more recent thing where I've really looked at the link between regulation and resilience and I think it's because you know I, I work with younger children and so it is more around discussions around regulation um, but then it's like well yeah, I, I think there is a definite strong link between like how well we can regulate ourselves and then how resilient we can be. Because you know, to me, resilience is essentially like regulating ourselves through a stressful or or yeah. a change or you know something something's wrong. And so you know, when I look at that and I think you know, for that example, like that person had you know poor self-regulation because, they, you know, they experienced something that, like, that occupation, they, they couldn't achieve that occupation because, you know, there was the the executive functioning part, you know, of their regulation <laughs> wasn't functioning at, like, the level that they needed to be to be able yeah, to get yeah. to the occupation of getting my meds from the chemist. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and then so that then set off this, you know, chain of, like, an emotional reaction, and like I'm assuming their thoughts, just you know, and that they couldn't then bring them back to the point where they needed to be to be at to be able to.
0: And that's the thing, like when that sort of that stuff happens, and and say I was with them, not a problem, yeah. like because I guess yeah. I'm there to help them regulate, and then yeah. you know offer yeah. suggestions that they might be able to try to fix it, but like yeah. I was, I and I know a lot of. OTs who have worked like that in that they were you know we're here to put out fires. I'm like no, you're not. No, that's not what we do. Like all we're doing in that case is then building, uh, I guess a link to us. And you know, yeah. Oh, I'm the I'm then the regulation for this person as opposed to them being exactly. able to manage it themselves. So I, I've always so looking been looking
1: at how you as. a part of that person's environment, like how can you build up yeah. that part of their rocket, like, you know, their regulations are going <laughs> rocket because that's my thing. Yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, like how do you build up that those com- those parts? How do you support that? So and- I'm not in it. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, so exactly. Because so that's, the- your, that's your goal is that but you yeah. want to like, get them to be able to do it, you know. And, I mean, maybe I think there's also that link of being like, well, does everyone have to do everything that's probably a whole nother podcast around. (laughs) Oh, I won't even start on the like the independent side of things. But like, I just think like we... actually on
0: my list to talk about.
1: We push independence and I've, you know, talked about it before in terms of being like, well, we push it to the point that we're actually being ableist. Like we are, you know, like we as... Able-bodied, typically developed adults use a lot of supports within our day-to-day environment, but they are socially acceptable and they are ones that everyone, in quotation marks, uses. And so we don't necessarily acknowledge them as the supports they are. But then as soon as someone who might need different supports in a different way, we think somehow that's them not being independent
0: I've just decided that me and you need to do another podcast exploring independence in a lot more detail. Yeah. Cause yeah. I think there's a lot there that we can unpack.
1: I think it's uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a really huge I I'm sad we got to this at the very tail end no, no. of our discussion. But no,
0: because then we can do I, a whole nother podcast sometime and get yeah. right into that.
1: This is the teaser. This is the teaser That's for That's right. The this is
0: the uh this trailer. This is the trailer for the next one. Yeah. Where can people find right. you?
1: Uh, so my website is uh and I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I need to get better at Instagram, talking about Instagram, um, as Rocket OT and also YouTube. So you can see some of my uh, videos that I've uploaded if you're interested in watching videos rather than seeing my face rather than just hearing my voice. Uh, put you, put you out of your comfort
0: of- zone by checking out your face.
1: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> You can see my improvement. You can, you can watch my earlier videos and see how much I improved. That's an exciting, exciting journey for me. <laughs>
0: that's it. That's it. Thanks so much right. again. Always no, a pleasure. Every time. And uh, yeah, right. we'll definitely do that other one because that All right. that's exciting.
2: Lock it in.
1: And it's like I would argue that no one's independent. We live in a society. No one is independent. And so by saying, oh, they need to be independent. And I read a fantastic blog um, from a young woman who has a disability and she was talking about being like, I'm so sick of people like, like what's wrong with being like having codependent? Why, if I have this skill set and I live with someone who also has a disability, but they have this other skill set and our skill sets match and then we can both like support each other what's wrong with that?